0: oh um, i get it harry potter
1: it's a screwdriver oh like doctor who's screwdriver is that uh, what, it's you, know what you, you know what uh, I, I lost a lot of people there already uh, <laughs> you don't know why but uh so welcome to close up i'm your co-host joe i'm ryan and today i'm trying to explain doctor who to somebody who's never seen doctor who that would be ryan So let's get into our medium shot now. What do you know about this thing? Uh, Well, saving some questions, obviously. And uh, why have you never bothered to check it out before now?
0: I know that it's from the uh, BBC. It's an old, old British show going all the way back for like 60 years. That's probably why I haven't watched it as well. I know David Tennant and Matt Smith were on it, and John Hurt and another guy that I can't remember, but he also won an Oscar for, like, best short film. Um, Karen Gillian was on it. David Tennant and Matt Smith did a crossover episode. Well, they all did. Um, that's about it. There's a toll booth.
1: I first got in a doctor who... Oh, maybe eight or nine years ago now. Sometime back in high school. That was when it was really at its at its peak. That was the Matt Smith era. And actually, I got into it even before that. Probably around 2011-ish. I was scrolling through Netflix. And I found, oh, you have some a, a random Doctor Who serial from the 70s. Because I'm that guy who wants to start as early as possible. I was... I, I was... I didn't want to do it with the 2005 reboot. I wanted to go all the way back to 1963. Anyway, Netflix only had, I think it was the Three Doctors special from the 70s at that point. So that was my first exposure to it. And I thought it was really cool. The The effects were kind of cheap, and but it had this really cool, it, it was just cool. And I wanted to see more of it, but... I couldn't get any more of the classic series at the time. So eventually I had to cave and watch New Who from 2005 to present. And that took me for... That's what they call it. Don't laugh at me. New Who! There's classic Doctor Who and New Who. So anyway, I had to eventually cave and watch that. And I'll be honest, it took me a little bit to get into. First few episodes of season one... For somebody who's basically uninitiated. Okay. But, you know, once we get past the farting aliens one, it starts to pick up. It's it's generally considered one of the worst episodes in the whole of all of it. It's bad. Um, all right. But you got to get past a certain hump in season one, and then it just gets great from there. It just keeps building and building and building. And uh, I, I had to get out of it for a while because Netflix lost the show. Before I got to the Peter Capaldi era. But I finally find a way to catch up in the last couple of years. And now I'm I'm up to date. And then I found a way to watch the classic show. So I've seen I, every episode of Doctor Who from 1963 to present. That wasn't one of the lost ones. So I I, I know what I'm talking about a lot. Although it's not one of those franchises that I'm super deep in on the lore or anything. If you ask me like ultra specific questions, I might not know. I don't know every arc or episode or I remember most of the characters. Like I'm into it a lot, but I'm not hardcore about it. I just, I've just seen them all. I'm not like, I don't interact with it as much as other franchises, but I, I do love it. So... Let's get into our close-up now, and I'll give you my best elevator pitch for the show. So here's you and I in the elevator, and uh, and I turn to you and I say, So, you want to hear about the greatest concept in TV history?
0: And I say, Who are you?
1: <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm the, yes. I'm the doctor. <laughs> Oh! (laughs) So, greatest concept in TV history. What if your main character and all your plots could go to any time and any place in space and history? And that's it. It's anything goes. Right. That's cool.
0: Oh, I remember one other thing about Doctor Who. There's, I know there's an episode where they take Van Gogh and they bring him to like modern times where people are looking at his art and he cries.
1: Yep, that's, that's one of the best ones for sure. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, so Doctor Who. Anytime, place in space in history. And he... Basically what it is, is he's an alien from this planet called Gallifrey, which is a society of advanced beings who are basically the only time travelers in the galaxy when the show starts. They, they kind of hoard the secrets of time travel for themselves, but the Doctor is a bit of a renegade, never really liked playing by the classic rules. So, there was a certain point in his life when he decided, nah, this society isn't for me. So, he stole one of the time machines from his people and ran away with his granddaughter to explore history, basically. And then, while he's on Earth, his daughter, his granddaughter, he lets attend a a local school in England. And. But she's like way smarter than every other kid there, and her teachers can't figure out why, so one day the you can't really figure out where she comes from either. they don't really know where she lives and they think, oh something may be wrong with her at home, so we we don't really know what's going on with this girl Susan so after school one day they they kind of follow her to see where she goes like is she is she homeless does she have a good home to go to? Her teachers are just concerned about her. And then they follow her to this random, like, warehouse district area. And then she walks inside a, a, a box, like a police box. And they're like, um, what? <laughs> so then they follow her inside the box. And it's this massive room with alien technologies. And there's this old man there she calls Grandfather. And that's when we're introduced to the doctor. And his original incarnation is William Hartnell. From 1963. And then he explains... Yeah, this is a time ship. we time travelers. And... The ship gets whisked away to the ancient past. And... It's chameleon circuit breaks. So it gets stuck in the form of a... Of a blue police box from 1963. Forever. And that's... That's why the TARDIS is how it is. And... Yep, ever since then, the Doctor's been traveling time and space. He developed a fondness for humans, so he tends to take random human companions, or whoever kind of impresses him, along on his journeys through time and space. Mostly just exploring. Um, But usually they run into bad guys who are oppressors of some kind. And the Doctor, the, the older he gets basically decides that it, he sort of takes matters into his own hands. He refuses to let oppression stand anywhere he goes. And he's smart enough and has the capabilities to exercise free will. Uh, he he tries to get people to exercise their own free will in the galaxy. He's just a troublemaker, basically. Just, uh, as he calls himself, an idiot in a box who goes around time and space causing trouble for people in powerful positions. And that's basically, that's, that's the idea of what it is. Any early thoughts?
0: Well, you kind of already answered two of my questions. So I was going to ask like who, who the doctor is, what's up with the toll booth? Um, why is it blue? And yeah, is it like is it yeah. like a like a Harry Potter four situation with the tent where it looks small on the outside but then you go in and it's big?
1: They probably stole that from Doctor Who. <sighs> Bigger on
0: the inside is. You're telling me J.K. Rowling is not original writer?
1: <laughs> Nobody is. Let's be honest. No one. Nobody steals from something. <laughs> but I'm sure it was even a token. pretty novel. Yeah, I'm sure even he stole. But I'm sure it was a novel idea in 1963 for well the reason it was disguised that way was cuz in England 1963 those blue telephone boxes uh they were a more common sight back then i think from those boxes you could call police or like you could go inside them because like police would lock prisoners in there just until they got backup i think it was so you you, you never really You don't see them around now. Now it's just kind of an iconic design. Even 20, 30 years ago, they weren't using them as much. But in its original run, they were a more common sight. So that's why the TARDIS used its chameleon circuit to blend in in 1963 England. And then it got stuck that way. (laughs) So that it's just that way for everywhere it goes forever.
0: All righty. That's interesting. Um, let's see. What would be... I guess you brought them up. Are the companions useful? Are they so just there so there's like another character there? Do they have like special powers or are they just kind of for the doctor to sleep with or smack when he gets angry?
1: Well, the original function of the companions was... Once again, if we're going back to 1963 here, the original actor who played the doctor, William Hartnell, he was on the older side. So I know for a fact, like Ian Chesterton was one of uh, his granddaughter's teachers. And he was the young guy who could do all the action in the, in the first couple years. Because the doctor was more of a wise professor teaching the history, giving the moral guidance. And just being the smartest guy in the room who knows everything going on scientifically, but he's like this old crotchety man who the early version of the Doctor wasn't really so heroic. He didn't. He was more of an objective observer who just kind of wanted to watch history and not meddle. But it was his human companions, um, Barbara and Ian, and then his granddaughter Susan as well. But mostly Barbara and Ian who go to these different places in history and they see all these injustices being committed and they want to do something about it. And then the doctor sort of warms up to this idea of starting to meddle in history a bit. So his companions are his human grounding, functionally. Originally, like I said, there was a they did some of the action, the younger ones. But yeah, they, they're his human grounding. They teach him how to be a good person in this... Big Galaxy and sort of inspired him to be the hero that he eventually became throughout the original show, and definitely so by uh New Who. And they still basically are like that today. In New Who, though, they're a lot more special in a way. There's always something, especially in Stephen Moffat's era with Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi, the companions are usually. Something's weird about them or they're some kind of MacGuffin or there's a reason they are how they are or they were fated to meet the doctor in some way or he, he's he got to deal with them um, and and their stories. Uh, but in the original series, they were mostly just humans that he knew some aliens, too, that he ran and knew. But just but that's kind of how the doctor likes it. He doesn't really he, he likes the ordinary. Just your average human, above average human, I should say, because the ones who are the special ones, who have good moral groundings, who are willing to look beyond their own fears and prejudices of the world, who have open minds, are willing to explore and adventure and put themselves in a little danger for character growth, they're the ones who interest him. He'll take them around. all right And no, he Makes doesn't sense. really sleep with any of them. <laughs> that's ah. uh the old show was pretty famous for being sexless, but the new show still sexless, but more romance with the companions. Mm-hmm. Although that was criticized a lot as well, because it got to the point where geez, every companion he's with he he has a relationship with. And that's why uh, a relationship like David Tennant and Catherine Tate from season 4 was so refreshing because they were just good friends who verbally sparred all the time. Or like Peter Capaldi and um and the companion Bill from season 10, they were they were just fun, nothing weird there.
0: Okay. Gotcha.
1: Um, sorry, let me
0: just pull this back up. Uh, what's up with his uh, vape slash light stick? I know you call it a screwdriver, but uh, what's up with that? Is it just like yeah. a little tool for him?
1: Yeah, the sonic screwdriver is the main tool of the doctor's arsenal, really. Basically, what it does is functionally it can do anything a screwdriver can, but it's got more technological components. It's nearly like a he can use it as a scanner, tell air particles in the room and whatever. He can examine things with it. You know, he can get readings from it. Like, oh, here's the up and down. Here's like oh, so here's what's messing with your body. I can kinda read it on the little scanner. If there's any kind of electronics or or like locks and stuff, he can open locks and any door with it. Basically, it's kind of useless on anything non-technological, though. I think there's a couple times he got locked in prison cells that had no technology at all, and he's like, "Damn it, it's useless." Shit. But and I'm it's stuck kind in of the a,
0: France prisons during the riots.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically. But it's kind of a running joke in New Who especially some of the later stuff that the doctor starts to overuse it. I think you mentioned John Hurt, right? There was an even There was a specific joke in the day of the doctor special when he's like, I never used to use this thing so much. What is wrong with you guys? (laughs) And it's true. What a legend. Rest in peace. hundred percent. But in classic who he rarely ever used the sonic screwdriver. The first doctor didn't even have it. They, they only introduced it with the second doctor and then the third like they kind of used it every so often but it it was really only a thing from 2005 on it was just a tool he used before um uh, the doctor's other main tool is psychic paper which is pretty cool i enjoy that one like a piece of paper kinda so the it's like a like a badge nearly and it's how he gets into places. He just kind of flashes the badge and the person, uh, basically, they see what they expect to see in a way. It's like he, he kind of goes in like, like he flashes the badge and they're like, like, oh, you're the exact type of authority figure who would come in here. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Because he doesn't uh... know what to say, but it kind of just shows them what they expect is identification. It's psychic paper don't remember exactly how it works, That's but it's... so smart. That's a great item. Why have I never thought of that? I mean, Doctor Who thought yeah. of it, so it's too
0: late, but oh, what a great so he does idea use that for a lot. gadget.
1: And his main alias is John Smith. Just the of most course. basic name you could think of. And speaking of names, though, uh I have to acknowledge what I said at the beginning when I called the Doctor Doctor Who. That's a no-no. Oh, and I can't believe I did it in the opening sentence because I wasn't thinking. I'm sorry. So it's a bit yeah, of a it's point just of the con- doctor, contention. right? Yes, it's a bit of a point of contention among the fan base because for the entire classic series, the character was credited as Doctor Who. So it, a lot of people say, okay, you know that's fair game for 26 years of the show. He was 27, actually, really. Technically, he was credited as Doctor Who. But it wasn't until the David Tennant era where David Tennant was such a nerd and fan of the original show, and he's one of those fans who's like, he's actually the Doctor that he made the producers of the BBC start crediting him as the Doctor instead of Doctor Who. And it's been that way ever since. But, yeah, the character goes by the Doctor. If you're wondering how Doctor Who came about, That's basically because every person he introduces himself. Oh, uh, what's your name? I'm the doctor. Doctor who? But he never goes any more in depth than that. He's just the doctor. Speaking
0: of the doctor, uh, medical or PhD?
1: Anything you can think of. Really? Damn. Okay. Basically. But even he doesn't remember all the time. He's like, ah, mm. I think I got a medical degree in Glasgow once, in Glasgow. hundreds of years ago. <laughs> That's
0: funny. He's um, a doctor
1: in the in the way that he he's a fixer is is what he is. He he's it it kind of it's the name he chose for himself, but it's also the name the universe knows him as. Is he's the guy who when things are broken. People, the system, whatnot. The me- the doctor in the blue box comes and remedies the problem. So, but he chose the name for himself as nearly an ideal to strive towards. I want to be a healer, somebody who fixes and and mends the galaxy and leaves places better than I found them. Nobody really knows his real name is the thing. He's never revealed it to... There's only a couple people who know. But the Doctor is mostly shrouded in mystery. Like, all this backstory I've been telling you was doled out over the last 50 years. Like, we didn't even find out he was from... He was a runaway from a planet of Time Lords for the first, I think, six years of the show in, in the 60s. Like, from 1963 to 1969, his backstory was just kind of, well, who the heck knows? He's just a a time traveling alien who can regenerate his body and that's it. And then later we find out, oh no, there's more to it. And there's been more doled out ever since, but controversially so recently. uh, Chris Chibnall's last season made a backstory change to the character that was so controversial, people are demanding rewrites for years now. It's not going to happen. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not going to spoil it, but they just... A lot of people prefer that the Doctor remains mysterious. They think... Oh, uh, so they gave the... him a
0: definitive backstory element?
1: Yes. And went mm. way further with it than you'd expect. Hmm... Like, like I said, the stuff I've told you thus far, that's just that's more basic stuff, and even that was doled out. It's like, okay, we know basically who he is, but his history doesn't really matter. Because his whole thing as a character is more, even though he can explore all of time and space, he's all about moving forward. And the new show really delves into the fact that it's kind of an emotional blockage, in a way. He has a lot of trouble looking back like when he leaves his companions he almost never talks to them again wherever they leave him is basically where their stories end and it's it's super rare he'll ever see anybody again because he's always looking forward he he has really bad trouble saying goodbye but once they're gone it's like he tries to close himself off from people there's very few people he's ever really let in emotionally so to even his companions who travel with him for years at a time, he's still this guarded figure, an ideal that they look up towards. Like, wow, you're you're a really great person. You're taking me on all these crazy adventures, but you're also kind of a uh, an uptight prick who never really <laughs> shares much about yourself and actively manipulates them, his companions, a lot at sometimes. I mean, different doctors are. Worse for this than others, but the doctor is very manipulative emotionally. He knows how to get what he wants and will force his companions into situations they would not want to be in if it's for the greater good. Although he'll make them think it was their choice. He's a chess master. Not always the best person, but gets the job done for the greater good. Okay.
0: Is that his goal, just to make sure everything gets done for the greater good? Like, there's 60 years of television, so there has to be different storylines that have happened. But what's his, like, ultimate goal for being what he is?
1: Well, I think his main goal is mostly just admire all of creation. It's just... The universe is a beautiful place. It's chaotic. The people in it seem to really love hurting each other and causing pain and grief and suffering. And he just wants to go around the galaxy and admire the beauty in it. Preserve it where he can and help others to live in the most ideal environments they can just cuz he admires life and and beauty and he, everything else is just kind of an obstacle in the way of that on his on his path it's like well i came here just to sightsee but while i'm here i'll fix your whole societal problem okay
0: That's pretty interesting. Um, Yeah, we've mentioned how it's gone on for 60 years, but how? How could this show be going on for 60 plus years? I mean, even some of the most popular television shows that we know are only around like 10 to 15 seasons, and that's only in modern time.
1: But 60 years of television, that's a long time. My theory, it was a fateful decision in 1966 where they came up with the concept of regeneration. This was not in the cards originally. The doctor was always just supposed to be William Hartnell. And, like I said, this crotchety old professor. But then, he was experiencing some health troubles in the mid-60s, three seasons into the show. And he had to leave the series. And that could have been the end of it. You could have, or you could have recast a lookalike. But somebody somewhere had the foresight to say, you know what? The doctor's an alien and has physiology that may be different than humans. So, what if instead of writing him out of the show or trying to recast a lookalike or canceling it altogether, how about the doctor just gets really sick and, su- and maybe starts to succumb to his age and has to get back to the TARDIS? And his companions don't know what's happening to him, but he's going through some kind of metamorphosis. And then at the end of the episode, we transition between William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton, the the new actor. And now when the doctor comes back, he's still the same man to his core. His, his, uh, his morality, his ideals are the same, but his personality shifts with every incarnation. Patrick Troughton like I said William Hartnell he was the crotchety old professor who couldn't really do action scenes or anything like that Patrick Trotton completely different his first scene he basically dishevels himself he looks like a hobo he's like he's completely unkempt finds a recorder in um in a in a trunk and starts playing music he you know he's he's a little younger than Hartnell he's more lively he can run around. He's, he's more goofy and uh, less way, way less uptight, way more personable immediately. So basically, they soft-rebooted themselves three years in. And then he was the doctor for three years. And then, oh, when his time was done, well, first of all, the show went into color, and then they completely changed the status quo. Uh, it's a spoiler for the original series, but I don't know how many people are going to watch it. <laughs> but basically, what happened was... Without getting into details, the Doctor got stuck on Earth, couldn't travel through time or space at all, and they kept that status quo for four years. So now the Doctor, this brilliant man who's used to traveling through all of everywhere he wants to go, he's stuck in one place, has to keep a a regular supporting cast, and they did that for four years. So then the show basically became like a, a spy thriller show. In a way, like the first three seasons were more. Hey, let's explore history. It's an educational show. And that was the whole point. Let's take this professor-like character and go through history and try to teach kids history. And then it all kind of derailed with the second arc when they it became more of a sci-fi show with the Daleks, which we can talk about later. So then Patrick Trouton. Oh, Those yeah. okay. Uh Yeah. So Patrick Troughton, his era changed the show again. That became more of a less historical-focused, more space adventures. Just cool stuff out in space. Let's fight monsters. And then the third era was uh, like more of a spy thriller, James Bond kind of show. Stuck on Earth for four or five years. And then after that, a- and then Tom Baker's incarnation, I think directly because his last incarnation was stuck on Earth for so long, almost never went to Earth. He was always in space doing crazy stuff. And that was great, and he was the doctor for seven years, and so his era was very different too. And then, the next era was kind of a reaction to that. There was more. Uh, his doctor was uh, then Peter Davison. He he changed again, and then Sylvester McCoy. Oh, sorry, and then Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy. So every era of the show, every incarnation of the Doctor was unique. It was like. Basically the same character, but also very unique. And also different showrunners throughout the times as well. The show went from more historical to action-adventure to nearly thriller to... In the 70s, it was like horrific, nearly. They were really going for uh, more of a horror tone in the 70s. And then it got really goofy in the 80s. And then it got more serious again like different tonal shifts and the actors changing and the showrunners changing the show was constantly reinventing itself every couple years basically in a way that i'd never seen another show do And that's how it's been able to stay on for so long but they did get canned 26 years in at that point it was the longest running sci-fi series ever and they tried to bring it back for a tv movie in the mid 90s Bad. It didn't go well. (laughs) And then it was canned again until 2005 when they brought it back on the BBC and it's been going ever since. And same kind of idea. I don't think the new show reinvents itself as strongly as the old ones did, but there are clear distinct differences in every era. There's the Russell T. Davies era. That's the first four years. And then there's the Stephen Moffat era. And even he has a pretty distinct break between Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi. The tone of the show changed a lot in in that half. Like, it feels like a continuous arc under Stephen Moffat, but also two distinct eras of the show. And then there was the Chris Chibnall, Jodie Whittaker era. And now we're back to Russell T. Davies and David Tennant. Uh, That duo is back which is going to feel different again. And then Russell T Davies is staying on for season 14 with Shudy Gatwa, uh, who's the new doctor. And that'll feel different again. So it's all about constant reinvention, same premise. Uh, and then a revolving door of companions. The supporting cast is changing even quicker than the doctor. Okay. Every, every couple of years, new faces.
0: Is the reincarnation like is it the is it the same human like reincarnating himself or is it like distinctly different doctors? Like is it all supposed to be the same doctor over the 60 years?
1: It's so Time Lords, his species have this Here we go <laughs> innate ability to Regenerate their bodies. It's not a savior from death, exactly. Like if you die, you die. But if you get really sick or really hurt before you die, you can change. You can regenerate your body. It it uh, heals your cells, reinvigorates them, and most of the time, gives you a new face. And kind of, it's like, it nearly randomizes your personality traits. Like you are who you are to your core, but different traits about you get brought out more and others are diminished with each regeneration. So some doctors, like I said, they're more chess masters, they're schemers. Other ones are just blatantly goofy. Others are angry and violent people. Others are crotchety old men. Others are super personable and fun to hang around. Some are any kind of combination of all those. They're like same person, but different personality traits are brought to the forefront every incarnation. And But even the Doctor doesn't always feel like the same person to themselves. They... In their mind, it's nearly like a death every time they change because they feel different. They look different. They hang out with different people. To them, it's like lives ago. They were a completely different person, so much so it doesn't even really feel like them. And that's part of the reason they had trouble going back to people they used to know is because, well, I'm a complete, I'm a, like literally a different person nearly than last time I met you. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's what the doctors, and sometimes it's traumatic when they change to themselves. Like, there's the classic David Tennant, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Yeah. And then there's others, like Matt Smith's more quiet resignation. I'll always remember when the doctor was me. And then he moves on. Aww. Aww. That's
0: yep. kind of sad. <laughs> okay. Yep. um, Bit of a light note. What's up with the robots? Because they look like a joke, but are you, they like an actual threat? Tactics. Yeah. Like, are they like that an actual threat? Them. Or, or are they uh, are they just kind of just there? Is there like a ringleader? or are they just a bunch of random minions?
1: I'll be honest. Whether they're a threat depends on who's writing them. Mm. One of the best episodes of any Dalek use is just an episode of the new show called Dalek. And that's the one I, I do think, like I said, there's a lot of there's some garbage in the first half of season one. But if you can get to episode six, Dalek, that's the real potential of the show there. If you can make it to episode six, that's like that that's what'll sell you by that point. Because Dalek shows the danger one single Dalek can cause they are basically based on Nazis. their entire their entire method of operation is exterminate everything in the galaxy that's not Dalek because all life forms are inferior to Dalek. And they're just this parasite that goes across the galaxy trying to exterminate or subjugate everything in its path because they want to be the dominant race in all the universe. And the doctor is their arch nemesis who's thwarted them so many times. And as time goes on, the Daleks eventually discover time travel, which makes Uh them even more deadly. And that, that becomes a bigger problem as it goes... Like, that kind of started at the tail end of the classic show. And then is kind of the entire inciting incident for the new show. Which, the new show is a good jumping off point. Just doubling back a sec. Just because the the new show, because of what the Daleks did, it basically rewrote the whole status quo. So that it you can just jump on there and... Yeah, there's there is this big gap. But the Daleks Yeah, like I said, in in some cases, one Dalek can be a a threat that can carry an entire episode. Other times the doctor can annihilate entire armadas in in a storyline and they don't feel threatening at all under him. So, so like one
0: Dalek could be C three PO. When he was chopped up and behind Chewbacca and then another Dalek could be R2-D2.
1: Usually when there's one Dalek, they're very intimidating. When there's an armada of Daleks, they're going to get dealt with more easily than you'd think they should. Okay, gotcha. Which is just kind of funny that way. And, And that's part of the thing is, right? Like, the Doctor just gets more powerful and more aggressive with the Daleks over time. It's a mutual aggression. Like, when he first meets them in 1963, they haven't even left their home planet. They're just a curiosity. They're just this species that has been at constant war with itself for centuries until the point where to evolve themselves to be better killing machines, they sacrificed their souls effectively and became more machine than... um then life as we know it. And then they just kind of spread through the galaxy after that. And they always come back, even though the doctor destroys them all the time. They always come back somehow. And hmm. a lot of doctor who fans will tell you they're very overused though. Cause every, it's like every year has to have a Dalek thing. Like, okay. Okay. Okay, the Daleks used to be legitimately scary, and now we've seen them defeated too many times to really take them seriously. They need a break. Right. Okay.
0: Um, Is the show more so, like, episodic, or is there, like, with one doctor, it's, like, their whole timeline on the show, that's the whole plot, or is it, like, one season type thing? Is it kind of like Star Trek in a way it's episodic, or is it kind of like... One season is the whole plot or whatever.
1: Well, if we're talking about the old show, they the classic who was broken up into story arcs, kind of like the Clone Wars or or something like that. They'd have episodes that were anywhere from four to twelve episodes, I'd say, that could tell a story arc. Um whereas and then that was it, like every story arc resolved itself. And then they just move on to the next. Uh, Whereas in New Who, it's more... Most of the episodes are standalone, but there's usually an overarching season plot. Sometimes some two-parters. But it's more serialized in the new show, for sure. The old show was just by arc. Which, to be frank, most of those arcs were dragged out. Most of them probably only had to be half the length that they actually were. Uh, so the old show can drag a lot because the middle ones feel like filler. They definitely were. But I mean, back back in those early seasons, there were over 40 episodes a season. So I don't blame them for adding filler. There's, yeah, there's a lot of trash in there, but a lot of gems, um, especially in the 70s later on when they started shortening the episode counts like some of the early ones had 10 to 12 episode story arcs and like oh lord but by the 70s they were Jesus narrowing Christ. it down <laughs> they were averaging at 4 episodes like 4 to 6 episodes by the 70s so they they definitely cut it down and it was better for it
0: okay um let's see I don't have much left um Da, 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 da. Where is a good place to start watching? Because there's the the very start, and you said the new who. Um, that sounds like a sponsor well, of Yahoo, but we'll talk about it later. Or who. <gasps> Does anyone drink Yahoo on Doctor Who?
1: No, oh. not that I remember. Anyway, um, so new good place to start. Uh, I'll give you a couple different answers here. I think there's a lot of viable options. I think the most obvious place for a consumer of modern entertainment, to start with the 2005 run, it it changed a lot. Like I said, the old one was serialized. Uh, it, it was story arcs. They were 25-minute episodes that would end up being like two to three-hour stories by the end of it. New Who is just typical forty five minute episodes. Like 13 episodes a season, uh, give or take. It's more serialized. People it's actors you'll recognize. It takes a little bit to get going in season one, but it like that's basically where I got into it, and then I decided to hop back into the classic series to be a completionist. I think New Who is better if you've seen the classic show it does give you more context but 26 seasons and like over 600 episodes is a lot is is way too much for people if you're not committed i would 100 not start with the beginning maybe start with the very first episode if you can find an unearthly child that's a it's a legitimately great pilot and does explain the concept, and it kind of gives you the idea of what the old show was like at the very beginning. It's, it's 20 minutes, it's a good introduction. And then maybe just get on to New Who. Alternatively, I think a good time would be when they switch showrunners. Uh, showrunners have a distinct tone they set for their show, Usually. So, say for example, in the old, sh- in the new show, you could start. Okay, Russell T Davies did it from 2005 to 2010, and then Stephen Moffat took over for a while, or Chris Chibnall, and every one of those is a distinct tone. So you can start with the showrunner. You could start with a new Doctor, which often coincides with a new showrunner, because that's a fresh start. They a new Doctor is a new a new personality, a fresh face, um, you can hop on board there. And it's like, like I said, every Doctor is basically essentially a new character. So you're not... And they usually reset the whole status quo with every new Doctor. So like like I said, he basically stops talking to all his old companions usually by that point. There's some consistency, but usually it's a fresh start. Uh, My... Personal choice, I think, is a good a good way to start. You can also hop in with every new companion. Because, like I said, the companions are the human grounding for the show. And the Doctor, we're seeing the Doctor through their eyes. They're really the main characters. They're not the ones who carry on forever, but they're really the main characters. So every time a new companion comes to the TARDIS... It may not be at the beginning of a season. It may even be mid-season. But getting to see the Doctor through their eyes for the first time, that's that's where the show is the most wondrous. Every companion, the first time they come into the TARDIS, their eyes widening, they get the, wow, it's bigger on the inside moment. So you as a viewer see the Doctor like they do. And if they're the companion that the Doctor's with when they regenerate, that's freaky, too, because you, you're like, oh, well, I jumped in with this companion. I didn't even know the doctor could do that. That was an option. I mean, of course, you know, but it's just as a companion, you're kind of following along a journey with the doctor like they are. You, you jump in when they jumped in, and you're, you're seeing what they see. So best way to jump in, though, personally, is right now this is the confluence right here is the new series of doctor who coming out right now. You can start with the specials that are coming out November 25th on Disney plus, or I believe season 14 is starting around Christmas. And this is, this is the trifecta here. We got Russell T Davies returning as showrunner, David Tennant and Catherine Tate coming back. Um, and so we have new showrunner, new doctor, new companion. Maybe David, maybe the David Tennant specials will be referencing more the old show, but definitely by season 14, new showrunner, new doctor, new companion. And I think on Disney plus it's going to be billed as season one just because Disney's branding, whatever, but effectively it's a fresh start. And so, and the continuity doesn't really matter. Like I said, it's, it's there but any doctor can be a beginning and i think that's another reason the show stayed relevant for the last 60 years is like it matters but you can also jump in in a lot of places okay
0: well said um i'm going to put you on the spot here who is the best doctor
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, Best Doctor and my favorite Doctors, probably a different list. Although I do think for me, top two for me is still Tom Baker and David Tennant. For different reasons. Uh, Tom Baker is, I think, the all-around best. Not just because he played the role for longer than anybody else. He did it for seven years and probably has the most episode counts, like, just by on-screen film minutes, he's gonna be the longest Doctor for a while. But he's also just got the best energy. He's when you think of classic Doctor Who, without even seeing it, I know you know which one Tom Baker's. If not by name, just, when you pick your classic Doctor Who, what's the Doctor you imagine? Have, knowing nothing about the show, what do you picture? Me. Yeah. What do you imagine David the doctor looks like from, like, from the uh, classic show? What, what do you think he looks like?
0: He's got like an overcoat and a, like a tie and a, I don't know, like all I picture is David Tennant. My mind's drawn to blank.
1: The guy with the scarf. Everybody knows the guy with yeah, the scarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. guy with a scarf. Yeah, that's Tom Baker. That's the first okay. image people think of when they think gotcha. classic Doctor Who. And he's just got the perfect energy. I think you know he's got this this wide toothy grin. He's he's got this alien energy about him. He's not the relatable doctor. He's he's very standoffish and he's kind of rude sometimes, but not as much as other doctors are. He's smart without really. Well, actually, no, that's that's not true. He is smart and he's also a complete prick about it too. He's the smartest guy in the room and he wants you to know it. <laughs> he's and still alive. He, yep. He's also a real attention hog too, but he's fun. He's not like one of the dour doctors either. He's the guy who like, oh, everyone he meets will offer them a jelly baby just for, that's just kind of his thing. Okay. He gets to fight a lot of the coolest aliens. He What's had a, a lot jelly of- jelly baby? It's like a, like a gummy bear, I think. Oh. Is that like a uh, British thing? I think so. Uh, Yeah, he has some of the coolest companions. it tastes better. Yeah, I like the alien doctor kind kind of person. The one who the humans... Like, he's relatable enough for the humans to pal around with, but just alien enough for you to always consciously be aware he's an alien and not a human. Funny thing is, though, David Tennant's my second favorite for the exact opposite reason. He's the relatable doctor. He's the, he's the heartthrob who falls in love with people and he, he's, he's got the most human raw emotions and lets his, um, lets his human emotions drive him more than many of the other doctors. He's, yeah, he, he's just, he's the most human doctor by far. So I like the most alien doctor and the most human doctor. Uh, my other, I'll go down my list here. So third and fourth is kind of tied for Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee. They're very different, but I love them both for very different reasons. So that's Doctor two and three. I love Pertwee's James Bond doctor, but Patrick Troughton is just kind of the fun space hobo. So it depends what kind of vibe I'm in. But John Pertwee was my first doctor, so I, I have a bias towards him. Uh, then number five, Matt Smith. He's just, he's exceptional. The best thing about Matt Smith is that even though he's one of the youngest doctors to play the role, he, he acts the, one of the oldest. He's, he's the old man in a young body. That's mostly his thing. Uh, and then Peter Capaldi, uh, who went really hard on being a jerk in the role, but, that also made him one of the best to me because I think Peter Capaldi has one of the best character arcs the doctor ever had. Who goes from complete arrogant jerk who basically seems to forget all social human customs to kind of softening out. and He, he just goes through a really great personal journey, maybe better than any other doctor I've seen. Uh, number seven, Christopher Eccleston. He only did it for one season. But it was a good year. It got everybody back into the show after it got canceled. That was the 2005 year, and yeah, he was good. Eight William Hartnell. He was the original. Started it all. I like his. I like his more rough and tumble take on the Doctor. He's very unlike the Doctor we would come to know. But he he, he did start the template. Uh, nine, Peter Davison. He's the, eh, I don't know, he's the white bread doctor to me. I don't, I, I was never really a fan.
0: Not the white yeah. bread doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, eh, you're, you're fine. I never really gelled with him. He's not, he's, a lot of people would rank him way higher than me. I think this is like one of my controversial opinions, putting him low, but
0: yeah.
1: Uh, 10, Sylvester McCoy. He, he just started getting good towards the end of his run, but... We talking like Wonder Bread, White Bread, or even cheaper? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> for me, anyway. Uh, so, Sylvester McCoy started getting good right when the show got canceled. Colin Baker never really worked either. He was just, like, too much of a dick. Uh, Jodie Whitaker didn't really care for her take either. It was I know, just, that was controversial.
0: I don't know why.
1: Whatever. Well, I can get into that controversy if you want. I have opinions. But I, I, oh, I didn't... We'll avoid it. <laughs> we can avoid it. I think my opinions are on the right side, but I just didn't like her take. I don't mind that the doctor was a woman. I just didn't like Jodie Whittaker. I, I was willing Fair. to give her a chance. And you know, okay. As everyone should have. I am going to wade into this, though. Usually... I am against random race and gender swaps and things. I think it's unnecessary and disrespectful to the original author's intent. If you want to make a new character of more diversity, go ahead and do that. It's cheap and lazy to just rewrite an old character to fit a new narrative. It's clearly not what you're going for anyway. You're, you're trying to make somebody new and plaster an old name on it just for branding. The Doctor... I don't care. We baked into it from 1963 that they can change their features and personality. Like, they're an alien. I don't care that they can switch genders, too. Yeah, maybe you're adding that 50 years later than you might have wanted, but they're an alien. I don't care. It's an option. Like, change the doctor's race, gender what have you, they're still the doctor. That's just kind of part of the character at this point. So that's why I don't really care with the doctor specifically, just because it's always been there. They just never chose to use it. Okay. And then my last favorite one is Paul just because he was only in the one TV movie to be clear. My list is different when you include the audio dramas the, this is just my rankings from the oh, TV I show. Oh, I forgot
0: about the audio dramas.
1: That's a whole other can of worms. Long story short on those, they're basically what brought the show back from the dead. When the show got canceled in 1989, Doctor Who was basically dead. Um, and then they brought back the original cast for these audio dramas in the late 90s by Big Finish. And... At the time, the show was dead and buried. So, like, wow. Like, well-produced audio dramas starring the original cast. And even some of the original companions as well that went with them. Like, it's the actual people from the show working on this. So, it's the most legitimate Doctor Who content we have. And then the TV show came back. But the, the audio dramas are still going strong 20 years in. And... They're great, because they got some of the characters back from the original series, too. Like, all the way back from the 60s, some of those actors came back to reprise their roles for the for these audio dramas and character. So they're a very legitimate repository for fans of the franchise, new and old. They even do audio dramas for the new characters, from, um, like, David Tennant's done some. I think Matt Smith That's may have cool. done some, too. So... Yeah, I listened to uh I think I'm I'm around the early 2000s for the ones I'm in in the main run in the main run huh. of it. But is it like uh, a
0: like a early audiobook? Is that what it is basically?
1: They kind of based it in the style of the old shows where they were kind of episodic. So they're like 2-hour stories basically. Okay. That are kind of broken up into four parts. Um, like four twenty-five 25-minute parts, usually. And then they had other more interesting things throughout the years, but the main range is, like, movie-length stories. And, uh, they're, they're really good. Uh, their canon status is a little up in the air, though. Because the thing is, the TV show tends to take precedence. That's the... That's the main thing. So if the TV show contradicts the audio dramas, whoopsie! But... For a lot of people, the audio dramas were the best canon we had for a very long time. A lot of Doctor Who aficionados rank their stories among the best of the whole franchise, regardless of canon or not. And like I said, they are voiced by the original people. So, and the funny thing about those dramas, too, is that a lot of the people who worked on them later ended up as writers on the new show of Doctor Who when it when it came back from the dead because they'd proven themselves all these years as good writers of these stories. So they did get rewarded for their efforts that way. A lot of them.
0: That's pretty cool. That's neat. I didn't know about that. All right. Final question to end off here in your humble opinion, Joe, what makes the doctor an iconic TV character?
1: I, the doctor is iconic because they prove that intelligence and empathy beat out violence and ignorance. That's the doctor's entire deal. They refuse to use a gun. Ever. Every time the Doctor beats somebody, it's because he outwits them or tricks them into defeating themselves. Or, like I said, he destroys entire armadas without holding a weapon. Just like ev- like many episodes. The Doctor proves that you don't need to be the toughest guy in the room just the smartest and with his companions who are like mostly just average people with good potential. It shows that greatness can come from anywhere. He can take just a decent human being and turn them into heroes just by giving them the chance to be giving them an opportunity to help on a grand scale and he's also a reminder that age and wisdom don't have to breed apathy you can see all the worst aspects of the universe and still want to help it and protect it just because there is countless evils that he's faced it it's hard to bear but protecting the good is more important at the end of the day. And it's also a lesson in staying curious. It's uh it's an endless universe full of wonders out there. And the doctor by the at the beginning of the show, they're, I think, a couple hundred years old. By the end at this point in New Who, they're over a thousand at this point. There's big time skips, but they'll never stop looking for new enjoyments or just loving life. So, you know, Doctor Who teaches a lot of good enduring lessons. Well said. Well said. Uh, Yeah. That's
0: all my questions for, uh, for a little Doctor Who special here.
1: Yeah. So I'll just, say a little bit more. I can't in good conscience recommend everything. Like I said, there's well over 700 episodes of the show over 60 years at this point. Jesus, A good lot of it is garbage. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Some of it is straight up bad, but the best so reasons for the
0: cancellations.
1: 100 <laughs> percent! It was going downhill badly <laughs> at those at that period of time. Uh, although, sadly, like I said, it was just starting to pick back up right at the end. But yeah, it's a lot of it is awful, god awful. <laughs> uh, but. A good chunk of it is also some of the best sci-fi I've ever seen. Maybe some of the best sci- ever, sci-fi ever written. The best of Doctor Who will invest you emotionally and intellectually. Show you crazy sights you've never seen a, one show try to accomplish before. Like I said, one it's anything and everything. All at once. It's, it's the show where you can be you know, where he can be riding dinosaurs on a spaceship. For one. That was that was one episode. Or, like, dealing with the end of the universe on a weekly basis. Destroying entire armadas. Or just chilling in Victorian London. Who knows? He can be doing anything. Yeah. And it's... A lot of it's iconic, too. Like, the villains are incredible in the show. Daleks, Cybermen, the Master is a big one. I didn't even get into the Master. That's a whole... Is thing. that the guy
0: with the creepy face?
1: Um... No. You're like, he looks
0: like like a weird alien type thing. Was, I know there's, like, a horror special timeline. It might be the Peter Cabaldi era or somebody else. Maybe it'd be the guy with the shaved head. The guy that looks like a straight-up horror villain.
1: Maybe you're thinking of the Silence from Season 6. They maybe. were scary. Maybe. Let me look it up. Yeah, the Silence. God damn it. Not the 2019 movie. Yeah, so anyway, Doctor Who has uh, a lot of... Yeah, really those ske- guys. Those guys? Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're creepy. It. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Doctor Who's got a f- lot of fantastic villains. They, they're all pretty unique and interesting. A lot of fantastic companion characters. Lots of incredible acting, music, uh, just stories, monologues. My lord, the monologues in these shows. Some of the best I've ever heard. In Peter Capaldi's era, especially. Man was the king of the monologue in that show. Um, Special effects are always kind of dodgy on it, but it was always kind of known for that, of having charmingly cheesy special effects, the classic series especially. The new series is better, although the CGI on some of the old seasons is aged not great. Like, just for example, the Daleks, their arm is a bathroom plunger. Or it was okay. originally. Like, that that's what they had to work with. When the show first started. That's what they went with. But yeah. They made it work. Doctor Who is kind of about triumphing over bad budgets. And just surviving. It it always kind of lived or died by the quality of its writing. Which did ebb and flow over the years. But like I said. That's the problem with trying to quantify Doctor Who as one thing. Is that. As I've said. There's. So many different types of it. Different showrunners. Different lead actors. Different companions. Different tones. Doctor Who isn't just one thing. It's sort of a series of things. Bound by common themes. With a loose continuity. So. Like fans of one era aren't always fans of another. Fans of certain doctors may not. Like others at all, and that's okay. There's a lot of variation in the franchise. I like most of it, personally. There's just a few where I want to face palm and ugh. <laughs> that's, and that's good. Just me. But uh, yeah, so lots of lots of good stuff. I I, I highly recommend a good chunk of it. But maybe look up a best of list. Either start with the 2005 show, start with the newest season coming out, or just look up a best of list and check out some of the standalone episodes maybe. Because there's a lot of incredible standalones as well.
0: I'm going to start with the day of the doctor.
1: <laughs> Great choice. <laughs> just a
0: multiverse episode and you don't know anything. Just like,
1: good lord. That's, that's one to start with.
0: I think I've seen, like, the four-minute clip of, like, when Matt Smith and David Tennant meet, and it was a lot of fun. I I just always see that clip all
1: the way through whenever I watch it. Multi-doctor crossover specials are always a, always a treat when they get to do them. And it's a shame, because not all of them want to come back all the time. There are certain Damn. people who... Yeah. I think the best one... not Not... Uh, the Day of the Doctors, the best one technically, but the most doctors they ever got at once was the five doctors from uh, from the 70s or 80s at that point. Even though that one was kind of cheating because they just u- reused archival footage of Tom Baker, oh, but because he refused cheating. to be in it, but technically they got five of them. And William Hartnell was dead, so they had to recast him. But technically, they got five of them. Why does Tom Baker not want to come back? Well, because they did that special right after his run on the show. And he had a feud with the main showrunner for the last couple years of it, who was still Ah. running the show at that point. So it just bad blood there. It wasn't that he didn't want to come back as the character, I think, but even though he was typecast for a while, so I think he was bitter about being typecast. He had a feud with the producer. He didn't he didn't feel like it at that time. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So, that's that's Doctor Who. Um so, what's what's your verdict? Do you think maybe you'll give it a try? Yeah. Maybe
0: uh, one day. I mean, it is definitely one of those things that, like, I've heard about over the years. It's just one of those classic television shows that I should, you know, peek into every now and then. Um, yeah, seems like a fun little little space thing to see on uh, on TV. And it's been a, a long, uh, it's been around for so long that it's got to be important, and parts of it got to be really good.
1: Definitely. Okay. Well, glad to hear that. I do hope you maybe I'll watch the newest season and we can review it. It'll be curious to hear your perspective for someone completely out of context on season 14.
0: When's it going to be on Disney Plus?
1: You said? Yeah. I mean, there's the David Tennant specials, which I think are going to tie more into old stuff, but like I think it would be interesting for you to start with season 14 around Christmas on Disney Plus, having no context. I'm, I'm, I'll be curious. Maybe that's something to review. We'll see. All right. Yeah, sure. Why not? So my agree to disagree question for this week. Are bow ties cool?
0: Mm, yes. Because it depends on the bow tie. Because here's the thing. I had to wear a bow tie for work when I was a server a couple of months ago. It does add a little bit of, like, the formal wear to it. And I think bow ties on, like, a classic English uh, suit look great. I mean, just look like James Bond. He can, like, well, actually he wears ties. But, like, sometimes he'll wear, like, a like a bow tie. Um, I think it all depends on the outfit as well. If you're wearing, like, a polka dot one, don't do that. But I don't think they look, look bad. I think they look better than that fucking whatever they wear in the South, that shoestring thing. Where that is?
1: Bolo tie.
0: Bolo tie? I think it looked better than that. That's
1: my hot take of the day. All right, you picked that. I guess I've got to say no. Bow ties you don't are have not to. cool. It's just I, the name of no, the segment. I, I, I have to, and you're making me say that as a as a Doctor Who fan, so I'll I'll get blasted again. Sorry, Matt Smith era fans. You don't gotta take the name of the segment to
0: heart. It's just the name of the
1: Bow ties are not cool. <laughs> They're very lame. In fact, they make you look uh, like a nerd, which isn't but you necessarily like being a, a bad. <laughs> yeah. I know. Now your but brain's if you pretty. Don't uh... wanna, if you don't want to look like a nerd, they make you look like one. And, and some of them are really goofy. Like, like back in high school, we did a production of Grease, and the guy had to be Eugene. He had this giant bow tie. That was like Well, Those are dumb, yeah. And that and that. It's also that the ones works. that
0: like the dollar store that are like bigger than your whole chest, like those. Yeah, ones Yeah, that are was weird. one of
1: those. <laughs> and and like, what what's a bow tie even for? Uh, I mean, a, a tie tie is, is trying to accentuate tie your tie. body. <laughs> it's 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 leading your eye. Leading your eye down to the belt line, there's a function for it. It's it's drawing the eye up and down the body. What's a bow tie for? It doesn't show off anything. It's just a little accent on your collar. I'd rather go without a tie at all than wear a bow tie. I don't know who this character is that you're being, but I love it. <laughs> I'm being contrary, and Joe taken up a notch.
0: <laughs> this is so good. Oh, what a funny question! Alrighty, well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're good here. How about you?
1: Yeah, I think I said all I can say without talking your ear off about all the lore, <laughs> all the sixty years of lore. Yeah.
0: I know it's like complicated. All the questions I ask are like simplistic, but with sixty years of stuff, it's way more complicated <laughs> to just give a simple answer. But you did pretty well. I'm uh, intrigued. Alrighty, well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram,
1: and you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thought Play Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe. Till next time. I don't want to go.